what works and what doesn't. Understanding what works. What works for me. Understanding your own business to know what works. What works for you. This is What Works. To be completely honest with you, I have never been interested in work that I can't just walk away from. When Tara and I started Yellow House Media, it was really important to me that we would set it up in such a way that eventually it could run itself. We had built this great life together. We could travel, explore, pursue interests outside of work. And I was only going to be game for this whole entrepreneurship thing if it wouldn't completely disrupt that life. Hey, I'm Sean McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that explores how small business owners are building stronger businesses without the shoulds and the supposed tos. Tara and I actually talked about our initial approach, stability in a business that could work without us, in episode 232. So go back and listen to that if you have time. And then later in September, we'll be talking again. This time it'll be with our production coordinator, the fabulous Lou Blazer, about our latest steps in making that happen. It's taken some serious time and intention to get to the point where taking real time off or dramatically reducing hours for an extended time is even possible. But here we are. Last week, we took our first trip of this hot vaccination summer, and later this month, we'll be driving out to Montana to enjoy a month in the mountains. We'll still be working, but the business will largely be in what we've been calling maintenance mode. When Tara and I decided that I'd take over for this month and explore the topic of taking a break, I immediately knew of someone I wanted to talk to, my friend and Yellow House Media podcaster, Susan Bowles. Susan is the founder of ScaleSpark and the host of the podcast Break the Ceiling. She has an eye for efficiency, systems, and automation that makes her the perfect candidate for talking about how to put a business into maintenance mode. Susan, like many of us, was forced into wrestling with this reality of building a business made for maintenance mode when the pandemic hit and schools closed. During our conversation, you'll hear that story and why it's so important to her to have a business that runs in maintenance mode. And I've got an insider tip for you. I think Susan might be working on a maintenance mode offer. Keep your eyes peeled. You'll also hear how Susan can fall prey to shiny object syndrome and other distractions, just like any other business owner, as well as how she's combating self-sabotage and how she balances work as a creative outlet without taking breaks. Now, let's find out what works for Susan Bowles. Susan Bowles, welcome to What Works. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really glad you're here. It's a nice twist. It is a nice <laughs> twist, isn't it? Uh, we've been working together for quite a while, and it's fun to have an opportunity to actually interview you. <laughs> I know. I wish we could like co-host all the time. <laughs> that would be a blast. We should start our own podcast. We should. Like something's completely different. Super random. Yes. <laughs> so I asked you to come on to talk about a topic that you've been exploring on your podcast. You call it maintenance mode. I'm very curious, what is maintenance mode and what compelled you 
to actually do a, a full series on your podcast on the subject. So I think maintenance mode means something a little bit different to everybody. Um, for some people, that means, you know, a completely autonomous business that is running 100% without their interaction that they could just disappear, and it would still exist. For me, I think it's a little bit less than that. It is a business that mostly runs itself that can keep turning whether or not you're in it, or if you have to step away, or if you're focusing on growing your business. And the idea of maintenance mode is basically creating operations in your business that just kind of keep ticking. Everybody on your team knows what they're supposed to do next. There are very solid processes for how client delivery works, how product delivery works, what you're selling, what you're talking about. It's a lightning of having to make decisions is to me the end result of everybody just knows what the next decision is. They know what their role is, they know what they're supposed to do, and it just kind of happens. And if for some reason you had to take a step back from your business for a month, two months, six months, you could do that without worrying that everything was going to come crashing down. And that to me is the essence of what maintenance mode is. And I think it's a spectrum. You know, I sure. don't think it, it looks the same in every business or for every founder. Um, but somewhere along that spectrum of your business just keeps ticking. And for me, this came up because over the last year, my capacity has been gradually reduced. So when the pandemic hit and my son no longer had school, he's eight, he's in third grade, and all of a sudden we had no school and no childcare and no babysitters and no family support system. And so, and, and that's pretty much been the case still now. Um, so from May until August, we had zero childcare. And then my son's school started a hybrid schedule. So he's in school on Mondays and Tuesdays, and he does virtual Wednesdays through Friday. And originally, my husband and I split days. So I would work in the morning, he would work in the afternoon, we would cycle who, who watched the kid. As school started, it, it just gradually became more of my responsibility. Um, he took a full-time job, and so he had less flexibility. So over the course of 2020, I did what I think a lot of people did, which was lower the bar on my expectations, lower the bar on my capacity, and I kept lowering it. And it was still always too high, no matter what I did, no matter how far I lowered my expectations for what I could do or what I could accomplish, it was still too high. And that kind of came to a head in, I guess, January of this year, um, where I just basically realized, like, I, I don't have the capacity to do very much work at all right now. I'm working Mondays and Tuesdays, like half days. And that's about it. That's about all I can do. And everything has to fit into that, those boxes. So everything that I'm going to do or that I'm going to accomplish in my business, it's got to fit in there. Or it's not getting done. And that led me down the path of this idea of maintenance mode of what can I either stop doing? Can I automate? Can I make easier on myself? Can I make more efficient? How, how can I do that with every tiny little bit of my business to create something that can run kind of autonomously if I'm not here very much? So that's kind of the evolution of just 
my capacity I, capacity has always been something that's been really interesting for me. It's something that I talk about a lot, something that I work a lot on with clients. So it's always been kind of there. Uh, it's never really been a necessity in my own business because I was working with high-end clients. I only had like one or two. Capacity is just not that much of an issue. And then all of a sudden it was. It sounds a lot like the metaphor of autopilot where there's been a lot of work and engineering and tools putting into being able to even put yourself into a place where you can take your hands off the the controls and trust that it's running itself. You still have to be there to sort of monitor. Or somebody does. Somebody does. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Whether or not that has to be you, I think depends on the kind of business that you want to run, the kind of leadership that you want to have, um, whether or not you can be in your own business. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think the um, analogy of autopilot is very apt because that's really what you're trying to do in your business is make stack basically little parts that can operate on their own. And you just kind of stack those one after another. Mm-hmm. And the more you stack, the less the fewer decisions you're making in the business, the fewer you have to, the fewer things you have to manually execute. And so the less you actually have to be there running the business. Right. It sounds like in a lot of ways, what compelled you to come to maintenance mode or explore and sort of make maintenance mode sort of an official um, way of of, of, uh, running your business was sort of compelled by necessity for you. Would you also say that necessity is not necessarily the reason that someone should go into maintenance mode? So I think it's that's an interesting question because no, I don't think it is the reason that anybody should go into maintenance Mm -hmm. mode. But for myself and for a lot of the founders that I talk to in inside this maintenance mode theme, a lot of the conversations that I explored, it isn't you don't have to be in some sort of capacity crisis it doesn't have to be a necessity but that is the trigger that prompted most people to do this in their business and i'm not sure exactly why that is but very few people just came into their business and were like ah maintenance mode that's that's what i'm gonna do and set it up from the beginning the only folks that i talked to that did that were multiple time founders Mm -hmm. so this wasn't their first business this was their you know second or third business and they specifically designed the business to be in maintenance mode from the beginning that was their overarching idea so they'd had some experience with a different business that said i and i don't want to do that again right yes they already they already got themselves to a crisis point in a different business and in the and then they just started over with taking that experience of having been in crisis and moving forward but almost everybody i talked to had had some um, capacity issues or hit a level of burnout that they just had to they had a family member that had a health crisis and they had to take off or they had a health crisis and they had to take off so i think um it is creating maintenance mode in your business is a critical It's something that you critically have to do in order to scale or to step away from your business and have it operate effectively. But it's also one of those things that requires you to think really strategically and step back out of your business for a minute. And that's really hard to do if there's no justification for it. Right. You know, it's very easy to go through your business in just reaction mode, reacting to the next crisis or the next launch or the next thing. And it is very difficult, I think, to 
give yourself permission to take a break from the reaction step back look at your business holistically strategically figure out what you want it to look like in an ideal world and then go take the steps to do that because there's always something more pressing until there isn't right <laughs> like and i think that's i based on my conversations with the other founders and what happened to me personally that seems to be a really common experience is everybody knows they should do this it's on everybody's to-do list I guarantee you almost every founder or entrepreneur out there has some to-do list that has like build process for X, document X process. Like it's on there. I guarantee you it's on there. And it just keeps getting pushed to the bottom of the stack until you can't push it anymore. And it becomes the top priority. Right. You really, you will always have that ceiling until you confront that question until you take the time to deal with yeah. it um i because intellectually we know that systems are good that systems are efficient that having checklists makes our lives easier but it also emotionally feels like a really overwhelming task nobody wants to go document their system or write a checklist and because of that i mean i i do kind of but <laughs> most people don't uh, I also really enjoy it, but yeah. <laughs> that's, I'm like, there are those of us who really um, like systematizing things, but that's not most people. And it can feel a little bit like it does when we, so this is very common to like how people feel about their business finances, uh, is that it feels scary and overwhelming and then we just don't do it. It's really easy to just not pay attention to it and not realize the cost of not having good systems in place. Mm -hmm. But the truth is it doesn't actually take that long. It's the same as like picking up in your house. If you set a 15 minute timer, I bet you you could document two or three processes, check them off your checklist and they would be done. But we spend so much time like emotionally right. procrastinating it that it becomes this much bigger thing. So it can feel really overwhelming when I say, hey, build maintenance mode in your business. That's like, oh my gosh, that's so much work. That's a But if you can break it down into like, write an email template for something that you send all the time. Well, that doesn't feel as big, but that's a tiny step towards creating efficient processes and saving yourself a little bit of time. You don't have to write that template again. For it's sure. just there, you can just use it. Yeah, when I was doing it with Yellow House, we, I like, actually kept a document open on my desktop that was just as i was doing things i would add things to that list i was basically creating yep. an outline of okay i'm doing this thing write down the thing that i'm doing <laughs> you know we're going to hear more from susan in just a bit but first a word from our what works partners what works is brought to you by mighty networks Jordan Melnick was a Miami blogger and a community event producer in the early 10s. He and his team produced a bunch of successful gatherings, but none was more successful than Sketchy Miami. Jordan set his sights on having 50 people at the very first Sketchy Miami gathering, but nearly 600 people showed up, and it kept growing from there. Seeing the success of this event series, Jordan decided to go national and then global. He took Sketchy online and started building an app, which attracted tens of thousands of portrait artists. 
This incredible community of artists was not the portrait artist's answer to Instagram that he was banking on, so he started working on a new business model. The sketchy team started building courses on their website, but those early classes lacked a community element, the secret sauce, if you will, of sketchy. Jordan wanted to be able to offer the sketchy community accessible classes, supportive community, and a great mobile experience. The best place to build that? Mighty Networks. Today's Sketchy School boasts over 12,000 members. The community is free to join, as well as an introductory course. After that, most of the courses are just $30. Jordan is excited about how Sketchy Art School has grown and the way the community has helped him make his vision a reality. What could a Mighty Network do for you and your vision? Go to MightyNetworks.com and click Success Stories to hear about more inspiring ways creators and leaders are bringing people together with Mighty Networks. This really makes me wonder, makes me think about a lot of the things that you and I have talked about and things you've shared on Break the Ceiling that for you, maintenance mode is part of part of protecting your business from yourself. I'm very curious what that means and how this has been a problem for you in the past. Uh, so I am by nature a tinkerer. Like I want to fix things. I want, I, I genuinely believe that every process could always be better. It could always be explained better. It could always be more efficient. There's opportunities to uh, take steps out. And like, there is always a way to make things better, which is an interesting way of viewing the world. And a lot of times it is a really powerful skill. It helps me with my clients. It helps me help them make their businesses more efficient. Um, there, there are a lot of useful things that come with that. But in the same time, uh, it can also be very much uh, an act of self-sabotage. I can go systematize things that don't need to be systematized. I am the master of what I like to call productive procrastination, which is things like changing my layout in ClickUp or finagling with my website. Fun <laughs> and color it comes schemes. from a place, <laughs> yes, adding emojis everywhere. There you go. <laughs> and I think we all probably, a, a lot of us have some element of that, of it, it might come out differently for you. Maybe it's shiny object syndrome and you want to go build new projects or write an, a new blog post on this topic that just popped up into your head. And the theme of shiny object syndrome came up a lot in maintenance mode. There was a lot of different founders figuring out how to corral and kind of corral is probably the, the best word. I think Finca said, throw a wrench in your process to make you stop doing something. So for her, she had um, she bought horses on her ranch. She was trying to stop traveling. She was doing like book tours and had really burnt herself out. And she threw an actual environmental wrench into her system of I'm buying horses for my farm, which requires her to be on the farm, which means she can't travel as much as she did. And basically she figured out environmental designs to prevent herself from self-sabotaging. Oh, interesting. And that is something that I'm a huge fan of, is figuring out what is your unique trigger, what unique ways you particularly tend to self-sabotage, and creating a system or an environment 
that helps you stop doing that. So for me, maintenance mode is that. It's me saying, cool, as long as I can get this one thing working and functional, and I don't break this one thing, I can do whatever I want over here on the side. So uh, Michelle Warner calls this 80-20, where you're focusing on your one thing 80% of the time, 20% of the time you can do whatever you want. Right. Um, and everybody I talked to had some sort of variation of that, of they figured out how they specifically self-sabotaged and created some sort of system or environment that kept them from doing that. One of my clients is kind of your classic visionary. Like he has tons of new ideas and he will derail the train faster than you can blink. And for him, the way that he uh, dealt with that was he hired a COO, he hired me as CFO, and he empowered us to tell him no. <laughs> he basically said, here's the plan, here's where we're going, don't let me run this off the track. Right. And has been gradually taking himself out of kind of making the decisions, he sets the direction and every and the team executes it. And that was his, his method of, here's how I self-sabotage, here's my environment that will prevent me from doing that. Um, and I have a very similar kind of uh, structure of, I like new things, I like researching, I'm really into learning new things, and that is where I kind of take my, I'll, I'll derail the train. So my way of de not derailing the train is working with people who I can't derail the train. Right. You know, working with um, you guys to produce the podcast means that my process has to pretty much stay the same. I have deadlines I have to meet. I have, like, you guys are my prevention of derailing the podcast <laughs> so, like and trying to find places in my business to do that i do that with automation a lot right. where i'll figure out here's the process um and set it up in zapier or integramat or whatever system i've created so that once the process is designed it gets automated and then i don't have to do it and if i don't have to do it i can't break it <laughs> one of the things i'm curious that i just uh, just occurred to me does maintenance mode actually allow space for you to explore your shiny object syndrome where you have the new and the interesting things you want to explore, but explore it in a way that doesn't break the system? So to me, that is how I view maintenance mode. That's how I justify to myself the importance of spending time creating processes and systems in my business that maybe I don't want to do. You know, maybe I maybe it's not the interesting project. Maybe it's not the, you know, the fun, shiny thing. But if I take the time to build those systems, then it can just run and I can go off on this other side and do whatever I want without breaking the thing that runs my business and keeps it afloat. Right. Um, my friend Jason, I did an interview with him um, towards the end of the theme talking about that. So he has he's a partner in an accounting firm. He has a community for accountants. He has a website and newsletter for accountants that does um, tech stuff. And he's just doing a software startup. And he does all of those things. That's like, and he still has like four kids and a family and a life. And uh, he's super active on Twitter. And the way that he does that is using systems. So he creates a thing, he uses particularly uh, technology to make them kind of run in the background so he doesn't necessarily have to focus on every business every day. And that allows him to go off and learn new things and have side projects and other projects. Um, so for me, that's how I view maintenance mode is 
-hmm. It allows me to go, basically it buys you freedom. It buys you time freedom. It buys you choice. So putting your business into maintenance mode gets you more time. What you choose to do with that time is up to you. You could choose to take more vacations. You could choose to spend more time with your family. You could choose side projects or other companies. Yeah, start It's all about, you know, choice. Yeah. So all this month in What Works, our theme on the What Works podcast is, and in the community, is taking a break. And I know you you laugh about this because this is a particularly... From what I understand, this is a little challenging. I'm the for worst you. at taking breaks. And I'm the um, worst. <laughs> and you're not yeah. alone. A lot of people see work as a refuge from the world. I've often thought that it's sort of viewed as a socially acceptable way to avoid doing the other things you don't want to do. So I'm curious whether it is true for you and whether that impacts your likelihood to take a break from your business. Yes. Work has historically been my refuge but only in the sense of my business so when i had like corporate jobs when i was actually working full-time and running a business full-time for me the business was always it always represented freedom Mm. and it was freedom for me to um, enact my own ideas to think about doing things the way that i wanted to do things and to be able to explore ideas i wanted to explore so business has always been a create like a creative outlet for me and I think because of that, uh, it does become a refuge, especially as, you know, I have a husband, I have a kid, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on and the business is often the only thing I have that's all mine. I don't have to ask permission from anybody else for, um, I can do whatever I want with it, it's mine. And it's, it has always represented freedom. Um, so work has been a refuge for me from all the other stuff that's going on in my life. What's interesting over the last year is the more my capacity shrank, the less interested I was in work, um, the less enjoyment I got out of it. And the more I tried to cram it into this space of, I don't, I only have the time to do the things that have to get done, not the things that I want to do. Um, When we were talking about like the 80-20, it has been all 80 and no 20 because the less time I had to spend on it, the less freedom I had to do more creative things. Quite honestly, it's been an exhausting year. The the less my brain operated to do really creative things. Um, And so as this year went on, it's been more about what has to get done and not doing anything else. So for me, work was a refuge for a while. And then it started to sort of become a burden, which is probably one of the reasons why I sort of pushed into maintenance mode. Right. um, And why that became such a priority was I didn't want to spend the few hours that I had doing the stuff that had to get done. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I wanted to do, I wanted to get back to doing the fun stuff. Um, But it's also, I think, especially in you know capitalist societies yeah work equals success Mm -hmm. being busy equates to being successful and i never I, i never really bought into that like i was never one of those people that was working like really long hours but i am an enneagram three i'm very achievement oriented um and so it's been really difficult for me to pull back on that and to say it's okay that it's just the minimum that's getting done. And it's okay that 
uh, I'm not going to get everything that I want to get done, done now. I want to do things now. If I have an idea, I want to execute it now. Right. Um, and as my energy waned, I've sort of been forced to give up a lot of that. Um, I hope I get it back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you But will. work, work, and I think it will go back to work being fun and a refuge and... Right. Um, but for me, it was always a it was always a fun refuge. Like I got to use my brain. I got to be strategic. I got to do things that you just don't get to do in normal life. Like there's not necessarily a translation to running a business and like a hobby. <laughs> there's not a lot of hobbies that like use those same kind of brain skills, like puzzles, kind of, um, but not really. And so I I look forward to the time when I get back to <laughs> being fun and less of an obligation. It makes me think of, I know that there have been a lot of people that I've talked to in general that it's just like, take a break. <laughs> the One of the reasons it's challenging to take a break is it's like, why would I want to take a break from this? I like what I'm yes. doing. <laughs> this is what I want to be doing. But from your perspective, even those things being true, do you still see a reason to take a break? And absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me <laughs> why. So for for the longest time, I was definitely one of those people where people were like, you need to take time off. And I'm like, but this is really fun. Like, this is what I want to be doing. This is, you know, you might paint. I mess around with my website. Like, that's my creative outlet. And it as my capacity reduced, it's I stopped being able to function that way. Um, as I became a third grade virtual teaching assistant, as I had much less time to myself to think, to process, you know, that there comes a point, I think, at which you just stop being able to and you get forced to take a break. Um, and that's kind of where I've been for, I don't know, six months um, of stuff stop, starts breaking down. Like your brain stops functioning creative. You stop being able to have problem, like good problem solving skills and you can push past it for a little bit and eventually you will just hit a wall and you won't be able to go any further. And um, so I think no matter what, no matter if it's something that you love, if you push too hard and you push through burnout for too long, you just, you won't have a choice about taking a break. And if you, can build in the ability to take breaks earlier than that so it's not a crisis then you don't get to that that crisis point yeah you you, you take and a break just, when you choose to as opposed to when life yeah. makes you well and you know i had so 2020 was supposed to be my like year of break so i was coming off about uh, i think it was about eight years of having run a business full-time and working full-time um, that I had been doing both of those things, not ScaleSpark, but both of those things had been true for eight years, up to the point at in October of 2019, I finally was able to quit my full-time day job and just have a business. Um, and so I was really working on, I'm gonna take plan out a lot of breaks in my schedule and be very understanding of that. So I had like planned a week off every month. I had planned major like three week breaks and I see you smiling and you know what's coming. Is <laughs> <laughs> I had finally gotten to the point where mentally I could let myself take a break from work. You know, I didn't feel like things were gonna come crashing down. Like I could build that into my schedule and build that into how I was working. And it was all fine until March of 2020 when 
there was no longer childcare. Right. <laughs> like it just didn't exist for me. Um, and so all of that break time that I had planned mm. was gone. It just didn't exist anymore because there was there were no babysitters. There was no school. <laughs> there was no summer camp. Um, we don't live close enough to family that there was any family that could step in and help. Um, you didn't feel really and, awesome about just like letting him go over to the neighbors either. Uh, well, I mean, so we did pot up with a neighbor, um, but he wasn't like they hung out at our house. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound so, like a break. <laughs> like it wasn't, it, I mean, it wasn't by choice, but like it just naturally happens that, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. they hung out here a lot. And so it wasn't necessarily by choice that I didn't get to take a break. It just didn't happen. There was no space in which to create breaks that were substantive. You know, a few hours here, a few hours there is great. Not when you're recovering from eight, eight years of burnout. For sure. You just, in a lot of that, you just need time. And that's been challenging. So you had made the plans like you had intended. I made the plans. I built the systems. I did all the stuff they tell you to do. And then it all went to hell. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, I'm sure a lot of people can relate uh, to that story. And I think, you know, that happened to a lot, to, to lots of people this year. Yeah. I'm sure it's true for parents because... I feel that. But even my single friends, like they filled in the gaps with work this year. Mm -hmm. You know, you couldn't go outside. You couldn't do a lot of your hobbies. You couldn't travel. And they filled in the gaps with work. And now they're having a hard time putting work back into its container, oh, into the container that it had held before, because it expanded to fill out all of these what would have been filled spaces that were now empty. And if you're sitting at home by yourself, what are you going to, what else are you going to do? You can only watch so much Netflix. Like you're, you're there. Why not work? And I think that has kind of become pervasive. And, uh, yeah, even the single people I'm talking to now are like, uh, it's, it's hard to put it back in that box and bring back that boundaries. space for, you know, there, there was no work-life balance. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure that's ever a thing, but there was a lot less life in the balance overall for a lot of people. And it's hard to put it back in the container. Are you feeling optimistic about that for yourself? I mean, where are you with well, it sure, now? Well, sure, summer camp starts in just a few <laughs> weeks and then I'm back to five day a week childcare and- uh, So you're gonna take a break take or you're gonna go back to work? <laughs> no, my, pl I, I, uh, my plan is to take most of the summer off Excellent. actually. As my built up <laughs> breaks that <laughs> accumulated over the last year. Um, because I, I honestly, I can't push any further. So um, I passed that point about six months ago and there wasn't a choice, you know, having the, having the ability to create breaks and stop working for long periods of time is a privilege yes, that not everybody sure. has. And, um, it was one I didn't have the choice really to create big spaces of time and now I will. So uh, yeah, taking advantage of that. And I actually am taking a break. Well, that's great news. Beyond that, what are you excited about right now? Beyond taking a break, because I'm so excited about that. I will say very few of the things that I am excited about right now are work related. Right. Um, I am really excited to get back on my bike this summer oh, yeah. um, and go ride a lot. I'm actually really excited to get back to the point where there's a lot of space for creativity and for just thinking about stuff 
and reading new things and learning new stuff. So I'm, I'm excited about the space to have choices again <laughs> about what I'm doing with my time. Oh, that's such a great answer. All right, Susan, it's been a privilege and a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun. This was one of many conversations that I've had with Susan, but one of the few that we've actually recorded. I have learned so much about owning and running a business from Susan. I would not be the, dare I say, entrepreneur that I am now without her influence. Find out more about Susan Bowles at scalespark.co and check out her full series exploring maintenance mode on the Break the Ceiling podcast, wherever you listen to What Works. Next week, I'm talking with financial behaviorist, speaker, and my good friend, Jaquette Timmons. I wanted to find out what Jaquette had been doing to take care of herself through the last year and a half while continuing to grow her business. It's going to be a great conversation. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Today's episode was hosted by yours truly, Sean McMullen. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer, and our production assistant is Emily Kilduff. This episode was edited by Marty Seafield. Finally, do you get Tara's newsletter, the What Works Weekly? She might be taking a break from hosting this month, but she's still sending out her weekly newsletter on business, leadership, and growth. This month, she's sharing a series of essays on taking a break. Subscribe at explorewhatworks.com forward slash weekly. I highly recommend that you do.